0: Hebrews 13, okay, we've been looking at the pursuit of perfection again, and uh, just going through the Bible on Wednesday night, looking at some areas of a little bit confusion. People get a little confused and have questions about one of them being, the Bible says, to be perfect, even as our Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now that sounds a little confusing, and uh, people question and say, well, how can we be perfect? Well, we're going to define that. We have over the last several weeks looking at it. Now Hebrews 13 uh, you may know these verses very well, but notice what it says in verse 5. Verse 5: Let your conversation, that's your lifestyle, really, be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. One area why we can be content is that because we know he's with us all the time. And that's the blessing. And that's what we need. Now, okay, so as we continue here in their pursuit of perfection, now tonight uh, we've already looked at laying aside rebellion and pride. And some of these areas tonight, we are pointed to, in the Bible, to something called covetousness. Okay, now look in your notes there, that God instructs us to go on into perfection, we know that. And as we struggle with this and try to bring our behavior into line, we learn that first of all, God is looking for a perfect heart. Again, not perfect behavior, but a perfect heart. And we've already read Second Chronicles 16.9, so we won't read that. But this is well within our reach. We can have a perfect heart toward the Lord, as we do this, we can greatly improve our behavior toward perfection, okay? Notice the second paragraph there. There are certain sins of heart attitudes which keep us from having a perfect heart toward Him. We are to lay aside these things, Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race set before us. And so rebellion and false pride that we looked at already are hard attitudes that keep us from going on to perfection, having a perfect heart. Another one of those attitudes is covetousness, as we just read in Hebrews 13. So the question is, are we content? Are you content? Are you satisfied with what God has given you, with what God is going or doing in and through you? If you're not content, it's because you and I are coveting. To covet means to desire eagerly, to long for, especially to desire something belonging to another. It also involves, uh, whatever that word is, I tried to look it up, I can't say it, which is a passion for acquiring and hoarding riches, the love of money and greed. Okay, so a couple things we'll look at tonight, and that is that covetousness, very ugly sin. We know that already, but let's look at some of this in the Bible. So first of all, notice it's forbidden in the Ten Commandments and the New Testament law, okay? Go to Romans thirteen nine with me, because I want you to see this here. And Romans 13, Now, Paul clearly is speaking to his uh, converts. And in Romans 13, verse 9, really the entire chapter 13 is really, really good. You ought to read it if you haven't lately. But notice what he says, verse 9, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." Now he's reiterating the commandments, isn't he? And Jesus said that at all, loving God with all your heart, soul, body, mind, everything He says, and loving your neighbor, on those hang all the rest of the commands. So we get that one right. We know we're going to get the rest right. But anyways, it's forbidden in the Old and New Testament. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, I have there in your notes. Notice, "...Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet his neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, maidservant, ox, ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Okay, very clearly laid out for us in the Scriptures. It is listed, letter B, though, it's listed in the sins of the flesh. Romans 1, Ephesians 5, 2 Timothy 3, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, we won't turn to all of those, but uh, I want you to look those up in uh, when you get home as you look through some of this. It's very, very interesting how this is all tying together. But Mark 7, now there... Notice what it says in verse 21, Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. There's a lot of things listed in the sins of the flesh. And uh, again, uh, we often think about that. Why do we got to talk about those things? Well, the Bible does. It's very pointed. And the Bible speaks directly to the individual. So it's listed as the sins. We must take heed of that. That's what Jesus said. But then letter C, notice it's synonymous with lust. Now this is real interesting. Notice this in Romans 7, verse 7, the verse there in your notes. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, he says, God forbid. No. Nay, I had not known sin, but for the law, by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. So Paul equates or synonymous covetousness with lust. Very interesting, isn't it? And so when you see that word in the Bible, remember that. Remember what he's talking about. And that Romans chapter 7, by the way, if you've ever studied it, it's pretty, very, very deep. And uh, many theologians and commentators have taken different directions with it. But he's revealing to us without that law, we would not have known true sin. We confess, if you're like me, confess in general or wholesale, (laughs) you know. Instead, God wants us to pinpoint and eradicate those individual sins. Okay, we'll look at that later on. Anyways, but also letter D, it's idolatry. Now, Ephesians 5, we might as well go there, Ephesians 5 and verse 5. He talks about this, the idolatry. Ephesians 5, verse 5. <clears throat> now he says this, For this ye know, this is something you should know, this is something you should have knowledge of, Then no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, no, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Okay, now you say, well, I've committed those things, so I'm not saved, I don't have a place in heaven. That's not what it means. Again, okay, you're in a habitual, unrepentive state of committing these sins. It's evidently clear you're not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit within you. If you did, and you committed something of that nature, you would immediately be convicted of that sin, if you tre- or go past the conviction and say, ah, I'm not listening to that, you'll enter into that chastening period of your life from God. That's God basically giving you a whooping, disciplining His children, and you don't want that. And if you still don't listen to that, we know that inevitably He will call you home or He'll take your life. He'll take you off the earth because you're doing more damage to the kingdom, you're turning more people away, and they're saying, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want nothing to do with it. Right. He'll take you off the earth. Now, that's a very, very rare case, and usually a child of God will repent in the first instance of conviction. But notice, he equates it again with idolatry, or lumps it into of idolatry. Colossians 3.5, again, mortify therefore, or mortify means to kill or put to death, therefore your members, which are upon the earth, the things you do. Notice the fornication, uncleanness. Again, uncleanness is that sexual in nature. Inordinate affection, that's an affection for something that you shouldn't have. Uh, Evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. So idolatry emerges as the most hateful sin we can commit against God. Now note this in your uh, notes here. The first three commandments deal with idolatry. The tenth one brings us back to it. Isn't that fascinating? The ten commandments, the first three. The last one brings us back to it. I'd have no other God before me. Make sure of that, he says. Why? Because he was speaking to a people group, the nation of Israel at that time. They were extremely idolatrous, weren't they? they just come out of Egypt, which is extremely idolatrous. They, in fact, even got Aaron. Sometimes feel sorry for Aaron, but they manipulated him, and he went along with it to what? Make him a golden calf while Moses was up in the mount receiving the oracles of God, which is the Word of God, the Ten Commandments. He comes down and sees him prancing around having a giant naked orgy and everything else down there, what the Bible says. And what happens? He breaks the law. Moses does. Now, he does that primarily out of anger, but all of that comes back. Now, that's who God's talking to, that idolatrous, idolatrous group of people. Now, I don't know if you watched or saw it on the news. I saw it on the news, but was it the Emmy Awards or the, no, what's the other? Grammy Awards. Did you see some of that going on? The, the nasty, but one of the performers there, and you, you probably saw some of it. I don't know who these people are, but I saw it on the news. Well, they're dressed up in red, fire around them, and they're, jo- they're doing these chants and all these other things. And they say, we're summoning the spirit. <laughs> we're summoning the devil, the spirit, satanic spirit. These are the people that are influencing our generation, our kids, aren't they? Those teenagers and others satanic idolatrous worship and it's any wonder that when the end comes and that Antichrist stands up and says I am God everyone's going to go no you're not no what are they gonna do yes you are because nobody knows the Bible nobody knows what's going on nobody knows that and you and I are going to very clearly identify what's going to happen and I hope you do And none of us, the Bible says, should be caught off guard. We should be awake, living in a sobriety, a sober state. Now, okay, so it's idolatry. Anyways, it emerges as that, brings us back. Okay, let me finish that paragraph. When we covet, we're saying, we do not trust God. We do not trust Him to provide what is best for me. We are not satisfied with what He has given us and think we deserve better. We have our eyes on things rather than Him. Isn't that what Satan told Eve? You remember that? She said, "Oh no, we're not supposed to eat that." <laughs> and then he says, "But he doth know that in the day eat thereof." He's questioning the word of first. He questions the word, doesn't he? That's what he does. And he says, "Well, God has doesn't have your best interests in mind. In fact, you know, you could become as gods. You don't got to walk around in this garden and always care for the trees and all the animals. You could have something better." And again, most marriages fall apart because somebody says, well, I could have something better. (laughs) And they thumb around, if you're like me, thumb around the Facebook and everything else and uh, uh, the social media, and it always brings, comparison always brings discontentment. And you look around at other things, and go, boy, I could have it a little better. I could do a little bit better over here. And you know what? Maybe I am better. (laughs) Maybe I do have those qualities. And you think about that. Now, that's what he's saying. So he gets us, the adversary in particular, away from understanding and trusting what God. Now, that's what brings us back to Hebrews 13, our beginning text of what? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And the question is, is Jesus Christ enough for you and for me? No, evidently not in my life, because I keep looking for stuff. I keep wanting more. I keep wanting to buy things. I keep wanting to purchase stuff. Oh, thinking about that. Now, number two, covetousness is a very damaging sin. Now, Joshua 7, Joshua 7, note verse 21, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And then it says, verse 25, and Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day, and all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. Now, that's his family, his wife and kids, after they had stoned them with stones. Now, again, praise God we're not in this, what we call dispensation. Lord willing, in a couple of months here, we're going to study dispensations. But that's an age or time in which God dealt with his people. Can you guys hear me in the back okay? Okay. Uh, That's a time when God dealt with his people, right? So thank God we're not in that one. (laughs) Take them out and kill them and stone them. We live now in what's called the age of grace. That's the church age. That's from the cross up to this present time until Jesus Christ returns. That's the age of grace. Now, when we transgress and commit sins, we have, what, forgiveness of sins. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now, He restores us in that. But in this age, in this law age, if you will, we find that it's very serious sin. Now, for Achan, it cost him his life, and it cost him the life of the people around him. And sin always does that, doesn't it? It never just affects me. It's like a grenade. You throw it, it explodes, and it just hurts everybody within a however many feet radius that it is. And that's what it does. It kept the rich young men from being saved. Okay, go to Matthew 19. Let's look at this one. Matthew 19. Now, this is really good stuff to look at tonight. Oh, man, it's helping me out a lot. But Matthew 19, now notice what it says here. This young man, he's described in the Bible as a rich young ruler. Now notice these three things. These are three descriptive words that describe this man. And all three of them are the things that the world looks for right now tonight. He's rich, that's money. He's young, that's youth, and he's a ruler. That's popularity, power, or fame. Isn't that what everybody wants? Did you see one of them... I think it was Madonna. I don't know. Did you see her lately? She's had so much plastic surgery and other things. I mean, she looks demonic. She looks scary. That's what she's going after with the fountain of youth. She wants those three things, and that's exactly what's mentioned. Now, verse 16, okay. And behold, one came and said unto him. Now, this is in the audience of all the people. Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said unto him. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Well, which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, shalt not steal, shalt not bear false witness, shalt not uh, honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, there's our word, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he rejoiced and quickly followed Christ. Does it say that? What does it say? He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard that, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay. So very clearly this young man came and said, Well, what lack I yet? He says, Well, good. Go home and sell all you have. Then come follow me. (laughs) And another instance, Jesus says what? No man having put his hand to the plow, and then he looks back. Oh, man, I like my old life. I like carousing around with women. I like drinking and doing drugs and staying up late and all the part. No man who does that, looks back, is fit for the kingdom. He says, I don't want you. Get out of the way. Get off my team. Get, you're, you're causing problems. You're causing traffic back up here. Get out of the way. And again, you don't want to serve Christ. He will not twist your arm. God is a gentleman. He never forces anybody to serve Him. But if you do, you know what you'll find. Okay. Turn the page, letter see. It keeps many from becoming disciples. Hmm. Interesting. Luke fourteen thirty three. Let me read that for you real quick. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. Luke fourteen thirty three. 33. Notice what He says, uh, it says, And so likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple, all that he hath. Now, does God ask us to forsake everything to follow him? No. What's he saying? Give it all to him and keep your eyes on him. And say, Lord, if you want all of this, you can have it. I'm. Will- that's where I'm at. That's my disposition. That's where I am. But does he do that? Did you sleep outside last night? Did you have to walk to church? No. Again, I say I have several missionary friends, many of them. And in some of the third world countries they're in, they have to start church an hour early, or they put it on the thing. We're starting at this time. And then he says, we have to tell people because they have a three-mile walk to get to church. (laughs) So they got to wait for them to all get there. I thought about, isn't that amazing? So what's he saying? We're willing to, Lord. You have my heart. Now here comes back to what we're talking about, the perfection. The perfection is not perfect behavior. It's what? It's a right heart towards God. And I say, Lord, you have my heart. Okay, letter D, it is a cause to break fellowship. Now, this is interesting. 1 Corinthians five eleven. notice what it says, but now I've written unto you. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, okay? Uh, a messed up church. They had a lot of problems. Not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother, a brother in the church, be a fornicator, covetous, idolater, a railer, a railer is one that is very harsh or divisive or mean when they speak. A drunkard, an extortioner, with such as uh, know not to eat. Very interesting. It's a cause to break fellowship if someone is covetous along with those other things. And by the way, ought not be friends and friendly with. Now, we are reaching people with the gospel, and we're friendly to everybody, and we're kind and sweet, but we don't you know, have them over and have a, you know, a party with them if they're in that nature. We don't condone their sin. Uh, we actually condemn it. Now we think about this. It is a uh, letter E, the root of all evil. All sin is hurtful, we know. This one is the root of all evil. Now remember, it is lust. It's equated or synonymous with, uh, I had not known lust except the law that said, Thou shalt not covet. Romans 7. James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted... When he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, when he hath conceived, it bringeth forth uh, sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When we covet our hearts are not toward God. First John 2.15, again, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not in him. Okay, so it is the root of all evil. Uh, it, it stems from that, the evil that comes through it. We don't have time tonight to cover a lot of that. But number three, then let, let's get to that part. Covetous is cured by... Choosing to be content, okay? Now Luke 12:15, he said unto them, Take heed to beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Covetousness is an attitude problem, as we saw that. You are in command of your attitude. Fix our attitude. will cure the sin. Okay, so we see that, and it's, we must learn the facts of it, really, that life is not in material things we possess. We know that to be true. We've watched the celebrities and everybody else that has everything in the world. And they're still not content. How come these millionaires don't just sit back finally and go, okay, I'm done, I'm accomplished. What are they? They're constantly trying to make money. A uh, famous football player just retired from the NFL. Well, he just signed a contract with one of the, the media groups to be a sportscaster now for the next year. Something like $650 million or something. I'm like, man, you've got so much money. Why are you still? Why? Because he's not content, is he? He... Can't stand to sit home in his fifteen million dollar mansion all alone; it drives him nuts. You couldn't do it, right? It, but we think about it. it's cured by learning to be or choosing to be content. Uh, notice under that number two, then money is least of riches, but the test of faithfulness. It's a test of faithfulness, and uh, God may bless us with some riches to test our faithfulness. Where are we are going to be? Uh, gain is not godliness, according to First Timothy six. Uh, gain is not godliness. Setting yourself up to make money will only hurt you, 1 Timothy 6, nine. A love of money, covetousness, it leads to all other evil, 1 Timothy 6.10. God knows what things we need and provides them in Matthew 6. Again, I've said it before, God trusts certain people with money. Nothing wrong with having money. People say, oh, you shouldn't have money. No, that's not true. That's not biblical. The Bible says it's the Love of money that's the root of all evil, right? God's blessed you with some money that you've saved up, you've worked hard for your entire life. Blood, sweat, and tears to have in your account. Good. You should have that. Okay, It's when what? That supersedes our love for God, for the Lord. And then we begin to go down that slippery slope. Okay, choose to be content with what God has provided. Oh, why do we got to talk about that, right? <laughs> Lord, really? I got to be con- Okay, Hebrews thirteen five, we know. 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, having food and raiment, that's clothing, that's provision. Let us be there with content. It means to be possessed of unfailing strength, to be strong, to suffice, to be enough, to be satisfied. We're satisfied. First uh, Timothy 6 and 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. There is sufficiency of the necessities of life. And then Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of one. He says, I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Sufficient for oneself, strong enough or processing uh, enough, I think I messed that up, to need no aid or support. Independent of external circumstances, contend with one's lot, one's means through slenderness. Okay, and then lastly, we give cheerfully to the Lord. Uh, Covetousness is cured by choosing to be content, and we give cheerfully to the Lord. Proverbs 21 and 25, it says, The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. Do we see that in our society today? They won't work. They won't go forward and do something. They just want money. You know, give me, give me, give me. I want it. Proverbs 11:24. 24. There is that scattereth, yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than his meat, but tendeth to poverty. And 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Listen, you won't outgive God. You can't do it. You're saying, Well, I don't know, I feel like I want to give this much, but I just can't. I don't know. We can't afford it. Don't ever think that. Promise, trust the promises of God. You can't outgive him. He will always bring it back on you. Uh, right? Bountifully, reap bountifully, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And then I have this at the end. Notice the word translated sufficiency is the same word translated contentment. Very interesting. You have all sufficiency. You have all contentment. If you You keep God number one in your finances. Okay? Number one. You say, well, we can't get... Yes, you can you give you're not giving to Tim you're not giving to the church you're giving to God and when you do you're being obedient to the Bible when you're obedient to the Bible God blesses out of obedience there's always a blessing there's always a promise of that. okay so I want you to pray about that but we're looking at this tonight Uh stuff I don't want to talk about but we have to <laughs> right covetousness and thinking through it okay now I know I'm preaching to you folks that are so faithful and I appreciate you and uh, again remember Stay in your Bibles this week and in your prayer closet, God will bless you for that. And uh, make sure uh, we're where we're supposed to be. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me if there's an area in my life that you're not pleased with. Show me that, and I'll change it, right? I'll change it to the best of my ability. It's going to be tough. It'll be difficult, but I want to try and do my best to do that. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, right? He's not impressed with anything that we have or do. He wants our hearts. He wants our lives, okay? All right. Okay, I'll stop right there. Lord, thank you for this evening again and these people that have come out and been so faithful. We do ask that you would guide us and you would help us, Lord, Uh, myself especially, else I would preach to others and I would become a castaway that I would not uh, preach. I'd preach and not do it myself. Lord, help us. We all, I know, struggle in areas of this nature. Strengthen us, God, to keep our eyes, our focus on you. And Lord, because of that, because of your promises, we know you'll bless, you'll take care of us, you'll provide. We love you. Thank you for our health to be here tonight. Be with those that couldn't be, as we already mentioned. And guide us the rest of our week. Bring us into this weekend, Lord. We look forward to Saturday and then Sunday morning. Guide us, please. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.